You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Listen to them. Children of the night. What? Canterbury. They make. Well, hello. Welcome along to this, the Attaboy Clarence Halloween special. Terrible weather we're having. Hey, happy Halloween to you all. I've got reviews of three spooky movies, Brooks back with some inside looks later on, there's a dip into the question pot, some scary radio, but first, how about a little music to get us all in the Halloween mood? <laughs> Other night, about 12 o'clock, I thought I'd go downstairs just to check the lock. When I heard something in the house, I don't mean a mouse. I swear they were spooks, spooks, spooks. I know they were spooks, 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 spooks. I couldn't move, just stood and stare. I never was so scared. The first spook spoke and I heard him speak. He said, what's say? Go make the back door squeak. We'll tease the cat and hound the pup and raise our spirits up. Oh, Lord of them spooks, spooks, spooks. Those scary old spooks, 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 spooks. You don't have to take my word, but I heard what I heard. The next spook spoke, he said, suppose we make the fossil start to drip and make the shutter shake. You let me know just what you want. This is my favorite haunt. Beware of them spooks, 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 them mischievous spooks, 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 spooks. I hate spooking, man, I mean that I've seen what I've seen. A big spook spoke, he said, Spike, my son. He said, I'll show you how to scare up some fun. But next time when you wail, see here, you make it loud and clear. Watch out for them spooks, spooks, spook of those nasty old spooks, 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 spooks. Maybe you don't think it's so, but I know what I know. The last spook turned to his spouse and frowned, said, I thought I told you to wait in the ground. But you look awful cute tonight. In fact, you look afraid. <laughs> He's talking about spooks, 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 real genuine spooks, 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 spooks. No, you stop putting up your dukes. You just can't fight to them spooks. <laughs> Cutting out of here, man. I don't dig this guy. No. Wait for us, wait for us, wait for us, wait for us. 
Oh, my good heavens, how excellent is that? The marvellous Louis Armstrong with Spooks. Hey, guess what? One of you has won the Jamaica Inn competition from the last episode. Shall we find out who it is? Shall we heck? We'll find out later. This competition proved to be harder than usual. So many entries, over 200 of you had a go, but literally only a handful of people got it right. So weird. Anyway, the winner will be announced in a little while, so keep listening. Boo! Jesus. Hi, Suki. Happy Halloween to you! Happy Halloween to you too. I, d- I didn't realise you liked Halloween. I do indeed very much like Halloween. It is my favourite day of the month, you know. Oh, good. What is Halloween? What is... Well, well, it's kind of a festival. The children next door are very upset they are. Why? Because they didn't like my Halloween game. Right. Why is that? I don't know. They were very rude, they were. Tell me what happened, please. I got a basin of water. Yes. I put some blindfolds on the children. Right. I put some apples in the water. Yes. And then they dipped their faces in the water and bit the apples out with their teeth, they did. Right. That's called apple bobbing. I know it is called apple bobbing. That is why I did it, because you do apple bobbing on Halloween, you do. So why were they upset? I don't know. Was was the water too cold? No, it was just right. Were the blindfolds too tight? No, they were just right as well. Were the apples rotten? No, they were very fresh. Are you sure? Yes. I laid them myself just before the game started. You... You laid them. I wanted them to be fresh and hot. There is someone at the door that is, and I'm very excited by this, and I would give all that I own to find out who's at the door, I would. Calm down, it's it's probably just trick-or-treaters. Shall I get it? Sure. That is a very funny costume that you are living inside, little girl. And you are a wolf, and I would give all that I own if you would allow me to marry you and give you some children. Okay, and now it is time for a treat. I have a basket full of apples for you all. Hold out your bags. Just gather round, and I'll elucidate on what goes on outside when it gets late. Long about midnight, the ghosts and banshees, they get together for their nightly jamboree. There's things with horns and saucer eyes, some with fangs about this size. Some are fat, and some are thin. And some don't even wear their skin. Oh, I'm telling you, brother, it's a frightful sight to see what goes on Halloween night. Jamboree, they break it up with English glee. Ghosts are bad, but the one that's cursed is the headless horseman. He's the worst. That's why he's mine on Halloween night. But when he goes jogging across the land, holding a noggin in his hand, demons take one look and groan and hit Hollow here. Now he likes the little, he likes the big. Are in the middle or awake? 
black or white or even red. The headless horseman needs a head with a hip, hip, and a clippity clap. He's out looking for a cotton chop. So don't stop to figure out a plan. You can't reason with a headless man. Now, if you doubt this tale is so, I met that spook just a year ago. Now, I didn't stop for a second look. Made for the bridge that spans the brook. But once you cross that bridge, my friend, the his power and So when you're riding home tonight, make for the bridge with all your might. He'll be down in the hollow there. Beneath your head, look out, beware. With a hip, hip, and a clippity-clop, he's out looking for a head to swap. So don't try to figure out a plan. And that was Bing Crosby with the Headless Horseman song from Disney's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Talking of Sleepy Hollow, I'm very glad to be able to tell you that the new episode of The Secret History of Hollywood will be with you very soon. It would have been absolutely perfect to be able to get it out for Halloween, but unfortunately, there's a lot to do on it. It's very, very different from the others. And when you hear it, I think you'll see why it's taken a lot more to write this thing. But I hope you'll like it. I announced a few things to patrons a couple of weeks ago, but I can tell you guys now, the name of the new Secret History show is Shadows, the Man from the East. Also, a quick plug, for those of you who are fans of one of my favourite films ever, Obsession, starring... Sally Gray. Well, the good folks at the Film Guff podcast invited me onto their show to talk about it. So I spent a very nice hour with them, and you can hear it by searching for the Film Guff podcast in your podcast apps. Thank you for having me on, fellas, and thank you for letting me talk about Obsession, which is one of my favourite pastimes ever... That and crochet. And hot on the heels of that little plug, it is my absolute honour to be able to tell you that I've recently been spending some time at the BBC with the delightful Mr. Dominic DeLaghi, ace producer, and that we've been working on something that's coming very soon. That's pretty much all I can say right now. And it is killing me not to be able to announce things, but oh my God, I'm going to be on the BBC. It's all the dreams I ever had coming true. I need to calm myself down. I have a great idea, actually. Answer some questions. That always gives you such inner peace. Maybe you have a question. Well, throw it into the question pot. Strangely, there is no next line. Well, maybe I'll read your question out on the show, or maybe not. Now, here's someone with a handbell. So the first question from the ghoulish depths of the question pot is from Stacy Hash, which reads, Hey Adam, I just finished watching Blood and Sand, starring Tyrone Power, Linda Darnell and Rita Hayworth. Boy, did we enjoy the music and the cinematography. Have you seen it and what did you think of it? My big question for you, though, is do you know if Rita Hayworth was really singing and playing the guitar when she sang Verde Luna in the movie? I'd love it if you read my question on the podcast. Keep on keeping on. You're terrific. 
Stacy. No, you are terrific, Stacy. Thank you so much. You know what? I've never seen Blood and Sand. No. But if you say it's good, then I shall get on it like a car bonnet. As to your question, no, Rita Hayworth did not sing. She was dubbed by Gracila Praga, who sang a few numbers on this soundtrack. Thank you for your question, though, Stacy, And please accept this Barbara Ewing Tuberry. Canterbury. Next question is from Tracy Brooks Carroll, who writes, Hi, Adam. Do you ever watch silent films? I love them. Do you have favourites? I love the brevity of your question, Tracy. And yes, I do watch them from time to time. I am a very big fan of Pandora's Box, starring Louise Brooks and Big Business, with Laurel and Hardy is pretty much the funniest thing I've ever seen. I think that if I had to pick one, though, I would go for Alfred Hitchcock's The Lodger, but the version accompanied by the Joby Talbot score, which absolutely terrified me. As a very special thank you, Tracy, please accept this silent film, Canterbury. And the final question this week is from Keith Durnford. Hello to you, sir. Keith writes, I listened to the frankly awesome Bullets and Blood series, but I cannot seem to download any of the others, like the Hitchcock series. Is there something I'm doing, or are they not available for download right now? Thank you for your amazing podcasts. Keith. Well, Keith, the older Secret History shows live at Audible for now, who are doing a stellar job of distributing them to their millions of customers. If you're an Audible subscriber, then the shows are free to listen to as part of your subscription. However, it seems to be UK only at the moment. And as much as I keep asking, I'm getting absolutely no response about when they'll be out in the US or anywhere else. But this is only for a limited time. The shows will be back with me before long and they'll be out through the podcast again. For now though, Keith, or to anyone else interested in the secret history of Hollywood, I highly recommend signing up as a patron where many bonuses can be found. Many bonuses. And on that note, it only remains for me to say that if you have a question and you'd like it answered right here, then do go to attaboyclarence.com and to the bottom of the homepage where you'll see the trusty question pod just a begging for your questions. So do drop them in, I thank you. Inner peace achieved. So throw your flipping questions into the shiny question pot. You might hear your question next time. So until then, get your thinky cap on. For the question pot. Okay, that's the end. Just like some magic potion, you filled me with emotion. You control my very soul. You got me voodoo. You knew the goddess Venus would start this love between us. You inspired me with desire. You got me voodoo. You knew you had power. Pick the hour when the full moon was above. I was hypnotized when I looked in your eyes. My heart was filled with love. Just like Siren Circe, you got me at your mercy. Always yours to have and hold. You got me voodoo.
And that was the glorious Mary Ann McCall with You've Got Me Voodooed. And I can pretty safely say that she had us all voodooed with that. I can almost feel the pins and things being stuck through my legs now and my head twisting off, my arms being pulled out of there. So, yeah, anyway. So thank you, Mary, for that and my apologies for completely destroying the sentiment. Well, it's Halloween, though. Yes, it's everyone's favourite time of the year. may not be everyone's favourite time of the year. It's that time of year when all classic movie fans gather around their hugely expensive modern televisions designed to present the pinnacle of picture perfection in 4K, UHD, HD, 3D and Dolby Atmos and stick on a 1931 vampire movie from YouTube because that is how we roll. But you might well be lost when it comes to choosing a movie, and that is where I may be able to help you because I have a trio of sinister movies from the Golden Age to tell you about today. And we start with The Man with Nine Lives from 1940, starring Boris Karloff. Now, you know you're in for a treat when the first thing you get is the following claim at the film's opening just after the titles. I shall now read it for you. Added to the many miracles performed by modern science that have accounted for the saving of thousands upon thousands of human beings comes its newest and most modern discovery, frozen therapy. Estimates of how long frozen therapy can produce a state of suspended animation range from days to years. But on the fact that disease can be arrested, that life can be prolonged by freezing human beings in ice, the medical world agrees. In research hospitals today, men and women are alive and breathing, their bodies encased in ice. Are they? Please, if you're a doctor and you have a big freezer in your hospital that's full of people in actual blocks of frozen water, do let me know, because I will have a hat to eat. Anyway, so the story here is of Dr. Kraval, played by Carlo, who dreams of freezing people in ice so that he can cure all the diseases in the world. Look here, Dr. Craval. I'm a medical man of good standing. I examined Jasper Adams six months ago, and I say no power on earth could ever cure that man. And I say that 30 years ago, medical men of your standing were saying the same thing about the yellow fever patients. Now, you and I both know that Boris Karloff playing a doctor never goes well. Boris, you're never going to cure all the diseases. In fact, I pretty much guarantee that many people will die, and someone will have to stop you. So here's an idea, Dr. Boris. Stop being a doctor on people. I warned you you wouldn't understand and you promised not to interfere. That promise is withdrawn. You lying cheat. Just because a man has an MD after his name, can he do as he pleases with human lives? His latest patient, who's suffering from cancer, is frozen by Craval, who thinks that he can cure him. But wouldn't you know it? The patient has a greedy nephew who thinks Craval will get his hands on the supposedly dead man's inheritance and so arrives with the police to inspect the experiment. And wouldn't you know it again? No one believes Craval when he tells them that the man is still alive, even though he's frozen and everything. I've explained it to the highest authorities in medicine and they scoffed at it, called me insane. Cue lots of Boris Karloff saying, but I must be allowed to finish my experiments. And, but this man will die, etc. 
In revenge, Creval pushes the men into the freezer and freezes them all, but also freezes himself. You are like the worst doctor, Boris. Stop being a doctor on people. The fault was not in the solution at all, but in the bodies of the men we used for the experiment. It was the combination. The new mixture met the old one, which had soaked into their bodies for ten years, touched it off like a spark of gunpowder and killed them instantly. Possible. Possible. We can prove it. We're not defeated, Mason. We need bodies with no poison in them. Bodies like yours. Skip forward ten years and Dr. Tim Mason, a man who's been trying desperately to prove the frozen therapy theory, finds Kraval and the other men and defrosts them. But it isn't long before the old rivalries are back in play and before it's become quite clear that Kraval has lost his mind. No doubt you're going to inform the police of what has happened. Not a doubt in the world. I love the science in this film. I kid you not. At one point, they bring a patient out of a coma by tipping hot coffee into her mouth through a pipe. Eating pad. Hot coffee. A practice all but forgotten, it seems, by modern medical men. Maybe they drowned too many patients in boiling hot coffee before the method was outlawed. It does concern me slightly that hot coffee down a pipe might be used on me if I fall into a coma. So from now on, I'll be carrying a card that says, in case of coma, no hot coffee, please. So yeah, some really suspect science in this film. God forbid anyone saw this film when they were young and decided to become a doctor on the strength of it because they would have gotten a real wake-up call when they started medical college. Onto the film itself, though. I mean, for all its wacky medical information, is it that entertaining? I have to say, this is one of the more confined Boris Karloff Mad Doctor movies I've ever seen. The whole thing is set in a basement with a big freezer, and the constant walking from one room to the next does get slightly tedious. I mean, Karloff has been a much better mad doctor in other films. The man who changed his mind is a classic, as is the Invisible Ray, the man they could not hang, Black Friday, the Devil Commands, the Ape, Before I Hang, House of Frankenstein, and crucially, those films had a way better sense of humour. This is a very humourless film, Perhaps because it's a Columbia film and not a universal one, it plods along to its natural conclusion and it ends on a really strange beat. So after watching Dr. Karloff slaughter an entire room of gentlemen, and after seeing his supposedly invaluable medical research go up in smoke, the two survivors of the ordeal both proclaim him to be some kind of saint. Yes, never mind all the poisoning and the freezing to death, and the pointy little beard that makes him look like Dr. Satan. He was a great man. So I would say that if you like Karloff as a mad doctor, and who doesn't, then you kind of need to see The Man With Nine Lives just for completion's sake. But if it does end up passing you by, don't worry about it too much. On to Mad Love from 1935. Now, I have a very strange relationship with this film. I've never seen it all the way through in one go, despite the fact that it's only just over an hour long. Why, you may ask? I'll tell you why. It's because every time I've watched it, every time it's put me to sleep. It's really weird because it's meant to be one of the great classic horror movies. 
For those of you who are unfamiliar with the story, this is the very dark little tale of another doctor, Dr. Gogol, played by Peter Lorre, who's madly infatuated with an actress, Yvonne Orlac, played by Frances Drake. But she is steadfastly devoted to her pianist husband, Stephen Orlac, played by Colin Clive. No, he really is a great surgeon. He cures deformed children and mutilated soldiers. Mm, soldiers? I wish he'd fix one up for me. After several passes from the increasingly insane Gogol produce a sense of revulsion in Yvonne, he resigns himself to an unrequited longing. But then Stephen is involved in a train crash which all but destroys his hands. Gogol is the only doctor who can save Stephen's hands and maybe in the process win Yvonne's heart. Is there no room in your heart? Even pity for a man who has never known the love of a woman, but, but who has worshipped you since the day he first walked by that absurd little theatre. Dr. Gogol, please. Well, I can't be silent any longer. You are a woman you must have known. Yes, yes, I knew of your feeling for me. I traded on it. And since you saved Stephen, I feel deeper friendship for you than for anyone, but I can give you nothing else in return. Nothing? Nothing. Even if I didn't love him, there's something about you that... Repulses you. Frightens me. But the hands he's chosen to transplant onto Orlac belong to knife thrower and convicted murderer Rollo. And suddenly, Stephen is showing signs of some dormant murderous intent. So this sounds pretty thrilling, right? I mean, how can you make a story like that into something boring? You could make it really, really long, but Mad Love only runs for just over an hour, so it can't be that. The problem is that it takes far too long to set the story up. Fully half the film has gone by before Orlac is even close to having a killer on his hands, pun intended. And that's unforgivably too long. Also, the initial setup, which sees Gogol obsessively stalking Yvonne at her night job, where she acts in a weird theatre of horrors in Paris, seems to promise a very grim, ultra-violent series of events, but they never come to pass. In fact, the theatre of horrors section is very disturbing. You have a theatre full of patrons who've paid their money to watch a sort of medieval scene of torture where Yvonne plays a long-haired heroine who's being stretched on a rack and branded with hot irons by her inquisitor husband who wants her to give up the name of her lover. <laughs> And this violence and misogyny towards women is something that really stands out above the horrors of transplanted hands and mad doctors. You have a waxwork of Yvonne, that's also played by Francis Drake, by the way, being drunkenly poured by a rich patron. You have the wax figurine then being transported to Gogol's home, so he can have his own brand of fun with it. You have the theatre of horrors torture scene. You have Gogol grabbing Yvonne at one point and smashing his lips against hers while she struggles. At one point, a nurse offers Gogol the phone and he hits her with it for having disturbed him. Women are definitely seen as possessions and nothing more than objects of lust by many of the characters in this film. The climax sees Gogol realizing once and for all that he'll never win Yvonne's heart and deciding that because she won't submit to him, he will strangle her with her own hair. Aside from this far more disturbing view of women, though, you have what was intended to be some kind of grand guignol horror fable about the limits of obsession, which is far more horrible than it is horrifying. 
It has some neat visual touches. In fact, people have said that it influenced Citizen Kane. But the story is plodding, and it's never more than only vaguely interesting. Even on this attempt, I had to watch it in three goes in order to make it to the end, and I have to ask myself if after my many efforts at trying to consume this film, was it worth it? And the answer is no. Well, we've had Boris Karloff and Peter Lorre so far, so let's have them both together. Slightly more light-hearted then, 1942's The Boogeyman Will Get You, starring Karloff and Lorre alongside Slapsy Maxi Rosenblum, his actual name, by the way, he was a boxer, Larry Parks, Don Beddo, and Jeff Donnell. Miss Jeff Donnell, by the way. So Boris and Pete, with a girl called Jeff, and a boxer called Slapsy, in a film called The Boogeyman Will Get You. Yes, the names in this thing are off the scale. So here we have a sort of twist on the cat and the canary and arsenic and old lace. Karloff plays the mad professor, Dr. Billings, for what must have been the billionth time in his career. And Peter Lorre plays the local sheriff. Go figure that one. Anyway, Billings is the owner of the Billings Tavern, an 18th century inn that he's trying to sell cheap. And sell it he does, although the price comes with one stipulation that Karloff must be allowed to continue with his experiments in the basement. The reason he needs the basement is because he's, of course, trying to create a race of superhuman beings so that America can win the war. It's all very patriotic. Cue a madcap farce involving gangsters, electrified laboratories, a murderer on the loose, and a nefarious saboteur. Yes, it's pretty packed to the rafters. Obviously, this is very tongue-in-cheek. I mentioned arsenic and old lace a moment ago, and this is firmly in that vein. In fact, it shares more than a few similarities. You have a scatty, genteel old person murdering lodgers and keeping their bodies in the cellar. You have the gangster with the mean expression. You have the screwball pace. You have the knockabout lovers, the rundown house setting. It was crafted in order to take advantage of the fact that this was Karloff's first film role in almost two years, as he'd been off creating the role of Jonathan Brewster, the murderer in the original play of Arsenic and Old Lace, which was one of the most successful stage productions in history, and which had turned Boris Karloff from a horror film star into a nationwide legend. So this is a very good counterpart to Arsenic and Old Lace. The rhythm is almost exactly the same. Unfortunately, it's not quite as charming and certainly not as interesting as Arsenic and Old Lace. 
The whole propaganda message behind the film is kind of tired and makes the film far less quirky than its predecessor. Also, Larry Parks and Jeff Donnell are rather annoying and really act as just a distraction from Boris Karloff and Peter Lorre. When those two aren't on the screen, you do get impatient. That said, there are some really good gags. I especially love Karloff's one-liner early on. And the murder mystery, which unfortunately takes up far too little of the film, is really good. If you like the Abbott and Costello horror comedies, and if you just can't get enough of arsenic and old lace, then do try The Boogeyman Will Get You, because it might well hit the spot. Well, we've had a veritable overload of Karloff today, and why not indeed? Boris Karloff and Halloween go hand in hand when it comes to old movies, so God bless her. Brooke Darnell, the best researcher a man ever had, took a dive into the Library of Congress's archives to see if she could find any interesting facts about Mr. Karloff himself. So let's hot-foot it over to her now for a Halloween Karloff edition of Brooke's Inside Looks. Brooke Darnell, she's a very clever mademoiselle. When you need some information found, she's half librarian and half bloodhound. Well, it's my great pleasure to be joined once again by the marvellous Miss Brooke Darnell. Hello to you, Brooke. Hello. (laughs) How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good. Great to have you back. First off, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. It will be Halloween when people hear this. (laughs) How are you celebrating it this year? Well, I'll be at work and then hiding from (laughs) trick-or-treaters. That's my mainstay, but I'm actually going to a Halloween party this year. Are you going to dress up? No, I'm just going to hand out Secret History of Hollywood merchandise. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was a podcast. Um, I think I am going to dress up, but I'm not sure yet. My, My kids have amazing ideas about what to dress up as. Like what? Okay, so my daughter... Matilda, she wants to, um, she wants to like get a huge bag and she wants to like create a dummy and stick it inside the bag out of hay or something or other. And she's just gonna walk around the streets with a big bloody knife dragging this body bag around with her. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I know. I was like, is that for trick or treat? She's like, no, I'm not trick or treating. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I imagine you taking your dogs trick or treating dressed up as like giant spiders or something. Has that ever happened? Well. I was at the store yesterday and they had these um, dog collars and they had like little devil wings attached to them. You have to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Your dogs are becoming like internet famous, I think. Well, they will do. (laughs) Have you seen those like great big spider leg things you can put on the back of dogs so that when the dog runs around, it looks like a giant spider? Yes. And then people put them in like elevators and the doors open and the people scream. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) I cannot think of anything more terrifying than that. Seriously, I have massive problems with spiders. <laughs> and with spiders? Yeah, even dogs look, look like spiders. Like the first video I saw when the dog's chasing this guy through a subway. Have you seen that one? And he literally runs for his life because whoever pranked this guy has put cobwebs at the top of this subway with like fake body parts hanging down and a big blood splash on the floor. Oh so this God. guy walks into a subway like under a street and he sees this and he's like, what? Is this a prank? And all of a sudden this huge spider runs <laughs> And he literally screams. I think I saw his trousers go brown as he ran away. And he just (laughs) sprints. He's like, yeah. Spiders. Even dog spiders. I can watch that knowing it's a dog and still absolutely petrified. Yeah. So there you go. That's my fun fact. So this is obviously horror season. Are you a fan of horror movies? I am, but not like gross ones. Okay. So what's your your favorite or some of your favorites? 
You're next. You're next. Yeah. I've not seen that yet. It's um, it's just this family that's like trapped in a house, and then these people and these like animal masks start showing up. That sounds freaky. Yeah. And then there's another one called Housebound. Housebound. It's like an Australian film, and this girl is uh, she's got like an ankle bracelet. She can't leave the house, mm. but then something's like attacking the house. Oh, that sounds good. I do. I think Home Invasion as as a as a concept is like pretty terrifying anyway, especially when you've got kids. Or dogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's protect my babies. <laughs> you're you're becoming a bit of a superstar researcher, aren't you? Can you tell us a bit about the magazine you're recently appearing in? Oh, yeah. It's called The Dark Side. And I think it's a British magazine. The screenwriter like just emailed me and asked if uh I could help him with some research. So I sent him some uh he's he's doing research on Ardell Ray. So the piece is on her. Oh, okay. So you've got lots of Ardell Ray research. Well, there's not actually a lot about her, but he's in. Uh, he got permission from her family to view her personal papers, or I guess, and the script she wrote for Val Luton. Was it the unproduced stuff? Yeah. I really like her. Yeah, she seemed quite modern. Like she seemed to, uh, you know, think of herself as an equal with everybody else. Which, when you read a lot of the stuff about the period, it doesn't seem like women were taken as seriously. Mm, yeah, especially when it came to roles in Hollywood that were kind of not in front of the camera, like directors and writers and things. Right. Yeah, I digress anyway. <laughs> well, you are the person to call if you want a secret or two dug up, and you've been busy once again scouring the archives of the Library of Congress for some facts about perhaps the greatest horror star of them all, Mr. Boris Karloff. Now, I have to say... The Shadow series that I've been making for The Secret History of Hollywood since last year has been so well received. Honestly, I'm blown away by how much people have responded to it, especially since it's about Val Luton, who, to the casual film fan, you know, isn't perhaps that well known. But that all changed with the most recent episode because because I'm now on the final trio of shows and they all feature Boris Karloff, who starred in the last three of Luton's horror movies for RKO. It's not really a spoiler to say that he turns up at the end of the most recent episode and kind of saves the day. And the avalanche of celebratory messages I got from people around the world is staggering. People absolutely love Boris Karloff. And as much as they've been enjoying the Shadows series so far, the excitement and the anticipation has definitely switched up a gear now that Karloff has arrived. And so, of course, it was only natural that seeing as how we're at the most horror-centric time of the year, you should go and dig us up some Karloff tidbits. So, Brooke, your top five lesser-known Boris Karloff facts, then. What's your number five? Um, I guess that we share a birthday. That's number one, surely. <laughs> <laughs> so, when it, when is that? November 23rd. Okay, so it's coming up. Yeah. And his daughter was born on his 51st birthday. So you are pretty much one of the Karloff clan then? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> like the most valid and important Karloff discovery, I think. It's the most easy to remember. At least now I know what to send you on your birthday. <laughs> that's so cool. Like mine, mine is the same as James Cagney's, which I'm very happy about. Yeah, that's a good one. Because he's like my hero. Yeah. I know what to send you on your birthday now. A Boris Karloff card. <laughs> Or you could, like, blow a candle out for Boris on your birthday cake. Yeah. Or get a Karloff candle, if such a thing exists. Well, I have some Frankenstein plates to put the cake on. Perfect. As you eat, his face will be revealed. Right. It's, it's, every, it's, it's every dead horror star's wish. <laughs> 
Okay, number four. Well, I guess how much he didn't like the term horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so he preferred the the word terror. Yeah. The whole debate around terror versus horror is something I'd never actually paid any attention to until I read Karloff's thoughts on it. And it's actually quite wise because, I mean, he wrote an introduction for a horror anthology in 1943, and I, I quote it at the beginning of The Next Shadow, so I won't read the whole thing. But one part that really stuck out for me is the way he describes horror and terror. He describes horror as a feeling of revulsion, whereas terror is like a lesser form of that, but with fear of the unknown added in. And that kind of perfectly describes the kind of sensation that Val Luton was aiming for. Yeah, so they were well matched. Mm, definitely. Did he say anything else about that? So he said, like, the current crop of horror films were cheap, tawdry, and disgusting. Um, they used to be classics with respectable stories and serious overtones. He doesn't know how long these things can last. And he says, I guess they'll go on as long as people are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Boris. Cuts to the heart of the matter. <laughs> what year was that quote from? Do you know? 1959. 59. Okay, so that's well past his sort of universal and Val Luton days then. That's like sci-fi horror. I imagine the 50s and 60s to be kind of like the early Roger Cormans and um, like them and you know, the giant ants and War of the Worlds and that kind of thing. Yeah. I think horror, horror is getting a bit more like wild and special effecty. So I guess I can kind of see his point. He says that he doesn't think that the current pictures would have gone over in our era because audiences were more mature. Sure. Sure, Boris. <laughs> <laughs> no older person would stand for such rubbish. <laughs> He's showing his age there. He, was, he must have been about nearly 70 then. Oh, no, over 70. 73 or something. So, yeah, it's quite a grouchy way of looking at things. But I do kind of agree with his horror versus terror thing. He says in um, that quote, he describes horror as, he says, Our hair stands becomingly on end, but our stomachs are fatally left a trifle queasy, a sensation which will linger long after our hair has returned to normal. The essential element of true terror is lacking. That element is fear. And then he describes the fact that, you know, if you go out into your garden at night and stand there in the dark, he said, the fear of your surroundings and not knowing what's around you is amplified by the fact that, you, you know, you have no way of knowing if something's coming for you. And that's the, um, that's the essential part of terror. But, you know, it's the terror. It's the fear of what you can't see and you don't know what's going to happen. It's kind of true. I have shivers just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> like just going outside in the dark in a big field. Yeah, and just, just not knowing. He says he feel, um, he says, Without warning, every tree and bush and blade of grass is agitated by some mysterious movement coming from nowhere. Well, I think like part of that is how much he thought horror movies were for children. So that's probably why he disapproved of where they went. So he's right in that sense, but still grouchy. Yes. So this is your number three fact. So expand on this because this is a new one to me. He was always really invested in like the letters he got from children. And it, he said that like a lot of parents and civil groups thought that Frankenstein was too horrifying for children to see. But the children thought otherwise. The very first Halloween after the film's release, a cloud of laughing pint-sized ghosts and goblins rang his doorbell and invited him to join their trick-or-treat rounds. Wow. Can you imagine taking actual Frankenstein with you? Yeah, he would get like a lot of fan leather. 
letters from children. Because kids kind of like to be scared, don't they? I mean, kids like it, I think. Kids like that fear. Right. Um, I guess you could kind of say that The Grinch is kind of a kid's horror movie. I mean, you have a monster who comes down and wreaks havoc on a town. Yeah. Plus, I mean, Boris Karloff's voice gives it that kind of universal horror feeling. But, I mean, I mean, there's a little girl in Frankenstein, isn't there, who, who unfortunately ends up dead, which created, like, a huge thing at the time. But um, there's a famous story about when she turned up on set and everyone was really worried about what was going to happen when she saw him in his makeup. And, 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 you know, he was so childlike anyway. She just went and took his hand and they spent the whole day together. And <laughs> So, I mean, kids do have a capacity for horror, I think. I think he's definitely right. And and to to hear that he got fan mail from kids. Is well, he says that the fan letters would would just talk about how much they loved Frankenstein and how like badly he, they, that he was treated and. It's, that's so sweet, really, because I mean they kind of saw to the heart of everything because he he played it like he was a child, didn't he? Yeah. Because he was like new to the world, pretty much. He couldn't help the body he was in, and he's not born evil. He's just born. The victim of prejudice. Big. Yeah, and big and sort of lumbering. Yeah. And it's the world around him that turns him into this, like, lumbering, angry creature. And then when he was playing Captain Hook on Broadway, after the shows, he would invite all the kids into his dressing room and ask them if they wanted to try on his hook. <laughs> you couldn't do that nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> kids, come into my dressing room and try on my hook. <laughs> I think the police would be there pretty sharply. Sorry, what was he saying? <laughs> oh, so he would he would say, would you like to try on my hook? And even the little blonde angels would reply, yes, sir. <laughs> oh, dear. Sorry, I ruined <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So um, what's your number two fact about Carlo? Oh, so like how he got into um, character every day. So he, he thought it was his job to magnify the evil and make himself a brute and that he really found it a fascinating business. So he says, I have to put myself into the proper frame of mind for the role. I try to think myself a thing of evil and let this thought consume me to the elimination of everything else. Wow. So kind of method acting then, in early form. Yeah, because he says he spent 15 minutes every day before he went on set concentrating on his character so that he would be sufficiently wicked and horrible to frighten the audiences. I can, I can imagine that for um, roles like The Old Dark House, where he had to play the you know, drunken brute. And... Yeah, all the makeup and costumes. He, obviously famous for doing lots and lots of, not just mental preparation, but physical preparation. No wonder he set up the Screen Actors Guild to make life a bit easier for him. Oh, did he set it up? Well, he was one of the charter members, I think. He's like one of the first, but... I think lots of the rules about how many hours they could work each day were, were sort of stemmed from his wild stories about six hours in a makeup chair and then six hours on set and then <clears throat> you know six seven hours having the makeup taken off and and then back on set with only two hours sleep. Or something. Oh, I think I did read about how he made it so that time in the makeup chair was they got paid for. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because initially. The pay didn't start until they started filming. Mm, that's right, yeah. He once did a 27-hour day for, for Frankenstein for the first one. Oh, my God. Yeah. How would you even stay awake? <laughs> and he had to diet as well. He couldn't, like, use food as a crutch. I mean, if I'm staying awake that long, then I need coffee and I need, you know, lots of carbs or whatever. He, he used to have dry toast and black coffee and then um, a, a weak tea for lunch and then, you know, 
a, a really scant sort of scrambled egg meal in the evening. Oh, I read something about him, you know, when he first came to Hollywood, he was at a boarding house with no cooking, so he would he lived off of fried eggs on top of um, irons. Irons? Oh, what, you mean like a... Like one of the old cast irons? Like a clothing sort of iron. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, that's a good tip. So you heat it up, turn it upside down, and fry an egg on it. <laughs> well, as, as someone who works in a restaurant that's kind of poncy, well, you know, <laughs> um, I can now recommend that as a way of serving food. <laughs> 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 Have you seen breakfasts on a shovel yet? No. In the US? Oh, God. Oh, just Google it. There's so many of those <laughs> places in England. You order like a fried breakfast, so you get bacon, eggs, beans, mushrooms, toast, all that kind of thing. And then they bring it to you on a spade. Weird. No punchline, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are places here called like the cast iron skillet, and they bring your food out on a skillet. But that's been around for years. We get, like, we get sizzling platters, they're called over here. Yeah, a big block of wood. And then they bring your food out and it's still hissing away on this molten plate that you can't actually touch. Yeah. So if you order a medium rare steak, by the time you actually have picked it off, it's cremated. <laughs> so it's another reason I'm getting out of the restaurant industry. But Are you excited? I'm, I can't wait. Yeah. I mean, I'm really scared about it too. But I'm just trying to sort of like hold on to my, hold on to my resolve. At the moment. It'll probably be better after the elections. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. There's a lot of downbeat. We've got Brexit over here as well, which isn't helping. March? Yeah, and everyone keeps saying things like, oh, when, you know, when we actually leave, um, there'll be no food. <laughs> so my concerns seem slightly, you know, puny compared to that, I guess. Well, I guess you could always go back to being a chef. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that'll happen. I think you'll just do better and better. <laughs> Thanks, Brooke. That's what I needed. But you have that skill <laughs> to fall back on. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to go work at McDonald's or something. I had it all. <laughs> no, no, I'm flipping burgers. <laughs> no, that's not going to happen at all. Thanks, bro. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so what's your number one, Carlo? Back? So he had maybe seven wives? Yeah. This, I have to say, now I'm writing about Carlo at the moment for the new Shadows episodes. And... He is one of those people who you can't really find a bad word against in any biography. Now, you've been telling me about Karloff and his harem. <laughs> Do you want to expand a bit on that? Well, so his Wikipedia entry has like five wives. And then everything I was reading kept saying, talking about his first and second marriage. And I was like, what's going on? And then I came across this article that came out in 2006 in the Vancouver Sun saying that he had a bunch of wives in when he was in Canada before he moved to the yeah. United States. So like he got married when he was 22 um, and just moved around Canada and he got divorced from the first wife. It says the the reason was adultery. Yeah. I just don't think of Karloff as like this great lover. It's something about the roles he played, I think. You know, apparently he was one of the most gentle, charming people you could ever hope to find. And so he must have attracted so many hearts through his travels. Yeah, I don't know. So so in all the articles, and they're, when they're talking about his first and second wives, the divorce from his second to last wife. <laughs> um, is that, is that, was that Dorothy Stein? Wasn't that Sarah's yeah, mother? Right. Second to last. Right, okay. So the reason was cited as being mental cruelty. Mental cruelty. Yeah. 
So I, I'd be very interested to um, to read the actual court transcript that describes the circumstances. If that isn't too ghoulish, you know, a, a desire. <laughs> because mental cruelty is such a... That could mean anything, though. It, it can do, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it can be just that he, you know, didn't come home from work for, for lots of nights and I sit, sat there wringing my hands. I guess that could be classed as mental cruelty. Maybe. When you say the words mental cruelty, you instantly get this sort of emotionally abusive image in your mind, don't you? Well, I was thinking about how he like prepared for the films that he was doing, and if if he was a, a method actor, did he like bring some of that home? Mm. Yeah. Like, did he just come home a bit grumpy, <laughs> or was it something more? <laughs> did he, you know, brains or anything? Yeah. <laughs> Stagger around the house with his arms out in front of him. That could be mental. <laughs> There's a great story, actually. Um, they had a pig called Violet, who was a giant pig, basically. And he, she used to run around the garden in a rainbow a rainbow jumper. Do you know what the, a jumper is? Oh, you call them sweaters. A sweater. They? Yeah. So um, one of the friends of the family knitted a rainbow sweater for this pig. And it used to run around the garden. And Karloff used to sometimes come home for an hour during the middle of his working day and still be in his Frankenstein <laughs> outfit. And... One of the images this lady remembers is of him walking around the garden, patting the the pig's shoulder, saying "Good pig, good pig," like this in Frankenstein in his Frankenstein getup, with a pig with a rainbow jumper. I mean, if I was Dorothy Stein, and you know, perhaps you woke it up, weren't sure if you were still awake yet, and just looked out the window, saw that. I guess that's metal cruelty. <laughs> <laughs> You're a dog fan, aren't you? I am. Obviously, massive dog fan. Did you did you find out on your travels the names of his dogs? I didn't. Didn't? Okay. What were they? So he had two Scottish terriers called Whiskey and Soda, which is a pretty cool pair of names. Whiskey and Soda. Oh. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But then he had two Bedlington terriers, called one called Agnes Day and one called Silly Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I like his pet naming skills. His pig was called uh, Violet, by the way. Oh. His cow... His cow was called Elsie. Of course. And his tortoise was called Lightning Jack. He had a whole farm. Yeah. <laughs> that must have been one shitty garden. <laughs> <laughs> well, he had a Gregory Peck's house, right? Was it? Okay. Yeah, he bought his house. The last wife and him bought Gregory Peck's house. So maybe like by garden it meant acres. Yeah. You don't imagine Gregory Peck to live on anywhere but a ranch, do you, really? Right. Well, Brooke, thank you so much, as ever, for your superb investigative skills. As I keep telling you, you've added so much in terms of personal appeal to the secret history of Hollywood, having turned up so many of Val Luton's letters. In fact, you've recently turned up an absolute treasure trove of letters from him, haven't you? Never seen before. Yeah. it. They were unprocessed letters. So, I mean, you've sent them to me already. You've been scanning them and sending them over. I haven't actually looked at any of them yet because I haven't got to the Valutin part of this writing thing yet. I'm still Karloff, Karloff, Karloff at the moment. But this is going to be quite exciting reading stuff that's never been seen before. Yeah, there's some, um, I don't know how to put it. <laughs> there's some shocking words in there. Really? Have you got a few curse words or is it more descriptive? No, just like, I guess, terms of the age. Oh, okay. Ooh, <laughs> that, that's going to be awkward. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Hey, before you go, I have a gift for you. Oh, what is it? Well, it's no secret that you're firmly part of this particular podcasting outfit. And so to make you feel as though you're a permanent part of the gang, I would hereby like to present you with your very own <laughs> your very own email address. What? <laughs> <laughs> It's only like a small gift, I grant you. But as of this very moment, brooke at attaboyclarence.com is up and running. What? Yeah, I got you an email address. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I know it's silly, but I just thought if anyone like wants to drop you a line and tell you how wonderful you are or what an incredible job you're doing or just even ask for tips on how to make your dog look as dapper as yours do, <laughs> then... <laughs> Then you can do so by now emailing Brooke at brooke at attaboyclarence.com. Oh, wow. That's exciting. In case you want to sign up to anything that looks a bit spammy, you can just do it with that one now. <laughs> <laughs> or you want to get rid of a guy in a bar and just say, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. My email address is brooke at attaboyclarence.com. Well, somebody signed, used my regular email address as to sign up for a dating app. Okay. So I've got, like... Thousands of emails. <laughs> it was you, wasn't it? No, it's like, it's for like older people, for seniors. So I'm getting like these emails from like older men. It's sad. <laughs> <laughs> Just be flattered. <laughs> or not. They're not sending pictures, are they? <laughs> yes. Oh dear. <laughs> so somebody's talking to them with my email address and then they'll reply to my you know, my regular email. So I see the replies. Do you ever get like replies and think, oh my God, I wonder what the question was. Like, you know, you get a reply that says, oh sure, it's purple. No, they're just like describing like what they do for a living or. <laughs> so glad that sentence ended that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I say, if you want to sign up to any more dating <laughs> apps, then now you can do it with this one. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on today. This has been as delightful as ever. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. And my heartfelt thanks to the wonderful as ever, Miss Brooke Darnell there for that inside look. And guess what? Brooke is about to become even more of a megastar because I'm not the only one who was asked to appear on the BBC. Yes, Brooke herself is guesting on the show we've made. So why not drop her a line at brooke at attaboyclarence.com and tell her just how great she is. Ooh, before I forget, we need to find out who's won the Jamaica Inn competition, don't we? As I say, out of all the many, many entries I received, only a handful got this right. It was picture number... Ooh, the tension. One. Yes, the top left. That is a dining room from the actual Jamaica Inn. Number two seems to have been the main one picked by folks. But anyway, let's put the correct entries into the random computer generatorcon machine and see whose name it shouts out. And the winner is... Dana Burnell. Dana, thank you so much for your entry. All you need to do is send your mailing address to me at adam at attaboyclarence.com and I shall get this Jamaica Inn bundle of prizes off in the post to you forthwith. And fear not, folks, there'll be more opportunities to win prizes next time. Well, on to some Halloween radio. On to some Halloween radio for you then. Sticking with the Karloff theme, let's take a dark little trip over to one of the greatest radio series of all time. Lights Out, created by Willis Cooper, 
and perfected by Arch Obola, who had the very good sense to engage Karloff for a five-episode run in early 1938. This is perhaps the best known of that run, a chilling and quite frankly bizarre episode entitled Cat Wife. See you on the other side. I don't mean in the afterlife, by the way. I mean on the other side of the episode. Oh, shut up, Adam. It is later than you think. This is Arch Obler bringing you another in our series of stories of the unusual. And once again, we caution you. These lights-out stories are definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you calmly and very sincerely, if you frighten easily, turn off your radio now. Cat White.
Now. Now, let me go. Let me go. I don't want you, you fool. You're not through with me. I'm through with you. No, no, Linda. I'm tired of you. Do you hear me? I'm tired of you. I'm going to get so far away from that smug face of yours that I couldn't see it with a telescope. Linda, my wife. Your wife. Why do you think I married you? I thought you loved me. I married you because I was sick of working in a two-bit barbershop, because I was sick of living in a hall bedroom wearing bargain sale dresses. I wanted dough, plenty of it, all I could get. You were the best chance to get it that came my way. No, no, Linda. You did love me. You must have loved me. I loved you about as much as that canary up there loves its cage. I told myself I'd stay with you a year. Divorce you, stick you for plenty of alimony, and then get out. But we've been married five years. Yeah, five years. Because you fooled me. That's why. I fooled you? Yeah. <laughs> you started to make a lot of money. More money than I ever thought you could make. <laughs> so you're giving me the air, huh? No, no, Linda, I love you. I'll always love you. I didn't mean what I said. Well, I did. Oh, Linda, don't leave me. You're no good. I know you're no good, but heaven help me, I love you. I'll never love anybody else. Get out of my way. No, no, I, I won't let you go. You've got to stay. Keep your hands off me. You're no good. You've cost me my self-respect. But you'll stay with me, you'll stay with me, or I'll cut you off without a cent. <laughs> you won't get a dime from me, not a dime. Stop that. Stop that. Oh, you Sam. <laughs> you fat-headed Sam. <laughs> Stop that. And I cut me off without a cent, are you? Oh, you fool. I've got everything that belongs to you now. You hear me? Everything. What are you talking about? What are you saying? This house. It's in my name, isn't it? The car. It's in my name, isn't it? I know, but... Oh, no, you... You wouldn't. Oh, wouldn't I? Well, listen to this, my darling husband... I cleaned out the bank account yesterday, no. every cent of it. I won't be in the street. You will. Now, this is my house. Get your things and get out of here. Uh, I'll kill you. No, stop. I'll kill you. you. Come near me. Let me go. Let me go. Ah! Oh. You touch me again, I'll tear your eyes out. You, you cat. Get out of my way. That's what you are, a cat. A big, white, heartless cat. You think like one, you screech like one, you claw like one. You even look like one. A cat, that's what you are, a great white cat. I didn't marry a woman. I married a cat. Keep it up, keep it up. You're doing swell. Laugh at me. Go on, laugh at me. But you're a cat, a sneaking, yowling cat. You stop saying it. A cat. A cat. You hear me? A cat. Stop staring at me like that. Stop staring at me. John. What's happening to me? John. My head. I can hardly see. John, help me. Linda! What are you staring at? What are you staring at? What are you 
John, you've got to control yourself. Everything will be all right. Oh, Doctor, what have I done? What have I done? John, please, pull yourself together. You're not entirely to blame for what happened. What will I do? I did it. I'm to blame. Stop talking like that. It's preposterous to say you're to blame. She was hysterical, John. And the suggestion that she was a cat caught her in an unguarded moment and resulted in a temporary neurosis. Oh, Doctor, she's got to get well. She's got to. Of course, she'll be all right. A little rest, quiet, and in a few days it'll all be forgotten. Is she... Is she sleeping? Yes. I gave her a sedative. She, she's resting very comfortably. Can I go in and see her? But I tell you, she's sleeping, John. I know, but... Oh, I've got to see her. I've got to look at her. I've got to make sure she's all right. Don't you see? I've got to make sure. Now, John, please. You've had a hard time of it. You'd better get to bed and get some rest. Oh, no, Doctor, listen to me. I, I've got to see her again. I, I've got to make sure that she's all right. I can't rest until I know. I tell you. Oh, very well. Just for a moment. Yes. Be very quiet. Yes. There. You see? She's resting very nicely. <gasps> Doctor. Look. Look at her hands. They're, they're clawed. And her teeth. Her teeth. Linda. No, 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 John. You're waking her. Linda. Listen to her. Steady, John. I can't stand it. I tell you, I can't stand it. She's Linda. She's my wife, my beautiful wife. Linda! Linda! Sorry, John. It's all right. I guess I'm going a little crazy myself. What's happening to her? What is it? I don't know, John. I don't know. Listen to her. You've got to do something, Doctor. You've got to. You're my friend. You've got to help me. What? In the name of all that's rational, what? Oh, think there must be something you could do, a drug, something, anything. Oh, John, I, I don't know what to say. I, I can't think. I'll call in someone else. That's it. I'll inform the authorities. They'll take care of everything. No, no, wait. What? What's the matter? What is it? You're going to inform the authorities? Yes. Yes, of course, John. Don't you see it's the simplest way out? Way out? Of course, of course. For you and for me. What do you mean? John, this horrible thing that's happened to Linda, it, it goes beyond just you and me. It goes beyond the normal into the supernatural. Everyone should know about it. The world should know about it, sir. You mean you're going to let everybody know what's happened to Linda? Of course I am. But you can't do that. She's my wife. Do you hear me? My wife. No, no, no. Now, don't get excited again, John. Listen sensibly. We owe it to science. Science? Who cares about science? She's Linda. She's my wife. And I cursed her to God and sent her into a yowling beast. 
<laughs> it's mine, Shay, mine. And you're not going to tell a living soul about it. No one, you hear me? No one. It's my duty, John. I must inform the authorities. No, no. Keep away from that phone. Keep away, I say. I'm sorry, John. Oh. John. My friend. No, no. Try to sleep, darling. Try to sleep. Yes, yes, I, I know, I know, darling. But, but it's almost morning. You must rest. <gasps> Sleep, Linda. Sleep, my beloved. <coughs> All right. All right, darling. I've got to be strong. I've got to help you. And I did help you. He was going to tell them about you. Everyone. They've taken you away from me. Locked you up. Pointed at you. Laughed at you. But I stopped him, Linda. I stopped him for you. He called me friend. But you're my wife, my beloved, and I love you. I'll say he never came here. And no one will know, darling. No one but you and I. What is it, darling? What's the matter? Why are you getting up? What is it? Why go to the window? What do you want? I could only understand you if I could only know what you're trying to say to me. Oh, oh no! Oh, Linda, Linda, stop! I beg you to stop, Linda, beloved, stop, stop, stop! I'm coming, I'm coming. Good morning, Mr. Taylor. Oh, it's you. I found this note saying you wanted to talk to me. Gee, I hope you're not going to quit taking milk from me, Mr. Taylor. I know I've been kind of late with deliveries the last couple of days, but you see, it's my... Oh, heart no, to... I'm not going to stop taking milk. That's what I want to see you about. I want milk, more milk, cream, everything. Oh, sure, sure. How much do you want? Oh, four bottles of milk. No, 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 six. Six? Yes, and cream. Six bottles of cream. Is, is something wrong, Mr. Taylor? Wrong? Why do you think something's wrong? Well, I only meant... You meant what? 
Speak up. You meant what? Oh, no, don't get sore, Mr. Taylor. I just meant, well, you don't look too good, and <laughs> well, you know how it is. Sometimes a fellow has a couple too many, and he starts ordering all the milk in the world. <laughs> you fool. I'm not drunk. Do you want to sell me that milk, or do I have to get another milkman? No, no, no. I'll get it for you. I'll get it for you. Well, hurry. Six quarts. Six cream. Only him and his old lady. The guy's nuts. Drink the milk, my beloved. Please. But you haven't eaten anything. You're hungry. You must be hungry. Oh, my darling, what do you want? I'll get you anything, anything. Just eat. No. Uh, no, I can't let you out of the room. I can't. Someone might come to the door. They'd see through the windows. Oh, be patient, Linda, darling. I'll think of something. I... Oh, drink the milk for your own good, Linda. Please. No, 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 dearest. Don't do that. All right. All right, dear. All right. I'll let you into the dining room. But you've got to stay away from the windows. Someone should see you. Here. Let me carry you. All right, darling. All right. I, I won't. I won't. Go yourself. Go yourself. You see, my darling, your pretty living room. Everything in it just the way you fixed it. Everything. Oh, Linda, Linda, this horrible thing that's happened to us. I tell myself it isn't real. I'll wake up soon and everything will be the way it used to be. You and I. Linda, where are you? Oh, Linda, don't, 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 no, Linda. Good morning, Mr. Taylor. Early again this morning, ain't you? Good morning. Uh, ever since you sent your wife to the country, my first customer every morning for the last three days you've been. Like I was saying to my wife this morning, I said, Yes, yes, Mr. Heinrich, some other time. I'm in a hurry. My order, please. Yeah, yeah, but you ain't give me no order yet. How about a nice steak? What you can broil? No, no, nothing like that. But to broil a steak? Ach, I tell you, that's nothing. When my wife, she goes to the country, that's what I always make for myself. Uh, you lay the steak in the pan, and then you light the steak. I'm in a hurry, I tell you. Yeah, yeah, all right, all right. You don't have to get so high blood pressure, Mr. Taylor. If you will tell me what you want, by God, yeah, I'll give it to you. Well, uh, I... I don't know exactly. A, oh, a couple of pounds of liver. Yes, that's it. Fresh liver. What? Again? Don't hurt me. Oh, 
sure, sure, I heard you. But by golly, for three days, ever since your wife, she went away. You, you, you eat nothing but liver. Are you going to fill my order? Oh, sure, sure. I will fill your order. There. Did you ever see such nice, fresh liver, huh? Oh, two pounds? Jawohl. There we are. By golly, it could be you was raising a cat or something. Why do you say that? Well, every day you buy liver. <laughs> This morning I catched a couple of mouses in a trap. Maybe you'd like to take them along for the cat, too, huh? Don't say that! Don't say that! Mr. Taylor, the liver, you forgot. Hmm. By golly, that man is for it. Now, what did I say that was wrong? Cats like to eat mouses. They mustn't see you. Be very quiet. Be very quiet. Yes, yes, I'm coming, I'm coming. Well, what is it? What is it? Are you the owner of this building? Yes, what do you want? Kerrigan is the name. I'm your neighbor. I've got that place across the alley from you. Neighbor? Yeah, Kerrigan is my name. I'm with the department. The department? Yes. I'm desk sergeant at the third district station. Policeman? Yes. I'm off duty today, so I thought I'd drop over and speak to you. Uh, do you mind if I step in for a moment? Step in. Oh, no, no, not at all. Not at all. Uh, thank you. Well, you got a nice place here. Yes, yes, nice. Very nice. You know, the same contractors made this place as made mine. You didn't know that, I'll bet. No, I, I didn't. Yes. Irishman by the name of Gil Hooley. You put up all these bungalows along here on nothing but Blarney and the shoestring. Jumped out of the story window, they tell me, the day after the stock market crash. <laughs> Lucky for him. If he was alive now, some of the people around here that bought places only would murder him. What was the trouble they'll have him? Apple. Say, now, speaking of trouble, reminds me why I come over. If you don't mind, I'll tell you. Yes? No, no, it ain't me that's complaining, Mr. Taylor. I'm the kind of man that can sleep in a boiler factory. But it's me, Casey. Ah, there's a light sleeper for you. I always say that if a star in heaven twinkles too much, the noise wakes up me, Casey. What? What is the trouble? Well, you know how the women are. Always finding something to make a fuss about. Say, I'm not disturbing her, am I? Her? Uh, yeah. You know, you're missing. 
She's not sleeping in the bedroom, lady. No, no, of course not. There's no one in there. I thought maybe seeing the door is closed. Oh, no, I tell you, there's no one in there. My my wife, she's out of town. Oh, well, that's fine. That's fine. I, I always like to talk things over man to man without the women around. The women are all right, I says, but they don't know how to straighten our little troubles with neighbors without... Calling names and pulling hair. <laughs> oh, what is it? What's wrong? What do you want to tell me? Well, to put it plain, it's the cat. Cat? Yeah, the cat. You just got it, didn't you? You... You heard a cat? Yeah. It started a few nights ago. No, it ain't just a mean one, like I said, but... But, Miss Katie, well, you see our bedroom window faces right on the alley. And by golly, she hears every meow that animal makes. You, you're wrong. Eh? I have no cat. But, but me, Katie heard. I heard it too, for that matter. I have no cat. But I'm telling you, it come right from this house. I tell you, I have no cat. Isn't that sufficient? Well, now, seeing as you put it so plain, I'll be speaking up plain myself. I'm telling you, I heard a cat yowling last night, and the night before, and the night before that. And as sure as my name is Thomas Kerrigan, they come right to this house. Now, what do you say to that? Get out. Now, wait a second, Mabel Cole. Wait a second. Don't get on your high horse. Get out. Well, now, see here. I'm not saying you're lying. I'm just thinking maybe the animal's caught in your cellar without you knowing it. Now, if you let me go down... I there, tell you there's no cat here. Get out. Get out of here. Oh, it's like that, is it? You heard me. Get out of my house. Well, you sure are making a lot of noise about nothing, young fella. But it's your house. And if that's the kind of neighbor you want to be, I get... What? What are you standing there for? Get out! Get out! Now, just a minute. Take it easy. No cat, eh? Well, what was that I just... Uh... Nothing at all! You've got no right to... you may not be a liar, but you sure are something close to it. If that ain't a cat in that bedroom there, then I ain't never heard one. Get out! Get out of here! Oh, no, I won't. Listen to that cat. If that ain't creating a public nuisance, I'd like to know what it is. It's none of your business. This is my house. Get out of here! Now, stop pulling at me, me bucko. I may be off duty, but I'm still an officer of the law. And I'm telling you, that cat, you got a nail violating the city ordinance. Now, if you don't make it shut up, disturbing me, Katie, I will. Uh, stay away from that door! Stay away from that door! That ain't no cat you got in there. What? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, yes, I lied. It is a cat. Just a cat. But I'll make it be quiet, but go away. Go away. Wait a minute. Take it easy. If it's just a cat, what are you getting so excited? No, I'm not. I'm not. Look at you. Your eyes are blazing. What's going on here? I think I'll have a look. No, stay away. No, no. Get away. Take it away! I told you! I told you to go home, big one! If I only had big one! I'll never use it! Never! Give away from it! Help! 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 Oh. I asked you to go, didn't I? I asked you to. Didn't I, Linda? You heard me. You heard me asking. Linda. Linda, what's the matter? What are you going to do? Linda, keep away from him. What are you going to do? No, no, Linda. Get away from him. Linda, Linda. 
of the always excellent Lights Out. Brilliance. Okay, that is it from me for this week. There will be a bonus show for all you patrons next week with more horror goings on inside. If you've enjoyed these shows or the Secret History shows and you'd like to help with the development of them, then please do sign up to become a patron. I've quit my day job to do this full time and it's very scary. And basically, in the next few weeks, I'll be living on your contributions alone. So if you can spare a dollar or two each month, it would be very much appreciated. I may use your very dollar to buy a coffee now and then, which will wake me up, which will let me get to work on these earlier, which will mean they'll reach you sooner or something like that. Or I might just pay the rent with it instead. If you'd like to sign up, just listen on to the end of this show to find out how, and thank you. Until next time, then, thank you for joining me for this Halloween special. Take awfully good care of yourselves. Watch out for vampire bats, won't you? And bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews and ebooks. and every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. 
Thank you. As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.